Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here today. And uh, you know, we're gearing up for the Winter Olympics. And in looking in the past, there was a, a situation that happened in 2004 with the Australian ladies rowing team where a woman named Sally Robbins did something that was hard for people to forgive her for. Because after 1,000 meters of about a 1,500-meter race, she just leaned back, dropped her oars in the water, and said, I'm done. She said, I just rode my guts out on the first 1,500 and didn't have anything left, and that's all I could have done for today. Unfortunately, neither her teammates nor the Australian press were sympathetic to what she did and how she felt. There was one headline that said, just awful, O-A-R-F-U-L. Another one said, it's eight, mate, pull your weight, underscoring the fact that her entire team had been let down. She went on to say, it'll be a long process. I think I'll be back with these girls again, but I've got to earn their trust. Whether or not her, her teammates shared that feeling remained to be seen. You see, what her teammates needed from her and what her country needed from her was for her to just keep on rowing. But she didn't dig deep enough or she had mispaced herself and was unable to do it. And to be honest, I think if I'm going to look around the room into your eyes, I see people who are probably also ready to drop the oars. We are living in weird times, complicated times. And some of you may feel like just giving up. What does that mean, to give up? Well, it's when we're tempted to sin. It's when we're tempted to say, you know what, God, this is just too hard. Work is too hard. Marriage is too hard. Kids are too hard. I'm just going to check out for a while. I'm going to find some other way to cope. As a matter of fact, they found that many college students right now are giving up on the normal academic way of getting a degree, and they've reduced themselves to cheating. A study came out called Cheating at College's Sores During the Pandemic. It outlines some of the stress students are facing right now. One professor at Columbia University said that uh, the students are disappointed and frustrated. They're, they're facing unprecedented levels of stress and uncertainty. Ohio State reported that incidents of cheating in 2020 to 2021 were up more than 50% compared to the year before. We are living in unique and extremely stressful times. And each of us are going to be tested in, a various, in various ways, whether it's, it could be academic honesty, or it could be sexual purity, it could be substance abuse, or apathy, or depression, or anger. But during these times, we have to keep trusting God and lean on His strength to pass the test. What I want to talk about this morning is how do I handle God's testing? How do I handle God's testing? And I want to look at the text, picking up where we left off last week in John chapter 6. I'd like to read John chapter 6, verses 16 through 24. 
you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 24. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. You may be seated. We're marching on through the book of John, a book that gives us a living hope. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at stained glass windows in ancient cathedrals, you would find St. John portrayed as an eagle because he supplied us with such lofty thoughts about Christ. Last week, we saw what happened when Jesus fed a multitude of people with a few fish and loaves. He was able to feed a whole multitude of people, about 5,000 men, about 20,000 people, it's estimated, in all. And it was the time of Passover. I mentioned last week as well, one of the keys to understanding John chapter 6 is to know that Passover was approaching. Jesus tested his disciples during that time of feeding, and he told them to go out and And rather, he asked them, how are you going to feed, how are we going to feed all of these people? And all they could come up with was a few fish and loaves. But he was able to make so much out of that. He's testing them again this week. He's testing them in a more severe way than he has previously. He's going to give them another sign proving to them who he is. And through this text, we can follow it and we can also understand how God tests us and how can we can endure a time of testing because we'll all go through it. You're either about to go into a test, you're in one right now, or you're recovering from one that you just had. So I want to go through the text this way this morning. First, we'll see the disciples tested. They are out there in the middle of a storm. We'll see that God enters and we'll watch the crowds pursue. And through all of this, we'll see how we ourselves can endure times of testing So let's start out with the beginning there, this testing of the disciples. Because after the crowd witnessed Jesus' miracle, they attempted to force Jesus to become their king. And he said, we've got to get out of here. And the disciples leave. They get on a boat, and they head out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And it was dark, and a huge wind kicks up, and the seas get rough. And it's really hard for us to try and imagine what it would have been like to have been out there in that little boat in the middle of the dark. No lights, no lights on the shore to guide them. Just out there in that blackness with the clouds covering up the moon and the stars. Actually, there's a psalm that gives us some background to what it was probably like to be out on the Sea of Galilee. 
It comes from Psalm chapter 107, verses 25 through 27. Just listen to these words. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted the high waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. If you want to know what it would have been like to have been out on that boat in the middle of that storm, this psalm gives us insight to that. Nauseous, up and down, and up and down. Terrified, not knowing if you're going to survive. No life jackets. Out of sight of the shore, there they are. So these hardened fishermen who grew up on the water, they're terrified. But what is it they're doing? We see it at the beginning of verse 19. Look at this very carefully. When they had rowed about three or four miles. Even though it was dark, even though this storm was intense, what were the disciples doing? See, they kept on rowing. There's something important for us here. Because even though they were scared, they're disoriented, it's pitch black, they kept doing what they know they were supposed to be doing. And that's the, time, that's the thing to do during this confusing time of testing, when you're exhausted, when you're confused, when you don't understand the times or why things are going so badly. You question all that is going on. You keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Hard times can come for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they come because of our own actions. But in the case of these disciples, they found themselves in rough seas because Jesus told them to go out into the rough seas. It wasn't because of their disobedience that they found themselves in these really hard times. It was because of their obedience. And at times, obedience to God means heading straight into difficult, hard, stormy times. And it's in these confusing moments that we do what we know to do. We keep praying. We keep coming to church. We stay in community. And it's my prayer that none of us go through times like this alone. The temptation is that when you're bored or you're discouraged or you're you're impatient, is to think about sinning. Oh, it would just make my life easier if I would just do this. What if I just... I just stopped going to church for a while. It'll make my life easier. What if I just look at this online? It's just going to give me a little comfort. It's going to help me cope. What if I drink a little too much just to ease the pain a little bit? Let me tell you something. Sin, hear me carefully, sin will always, without fail, complicate your life. All through the Scriptures, that's what sin does. And that's what giving up looks like in hard, confusing times. That will be the temptation. It will always be the temptation to shortcut your circumstances, to try to find the easy way. Things are at their darkest for these disciples. They needed each other in that boat. We need each other in confusing times. So then when things seem their darkest, what happens? Look at what we see next. We see then that God enters in. 
Starting at the end of verse 19, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Of course, they're scared. I mean, if you've never seen someone, and I'm assuming you haven't, walking on water towards you in the middle of a dark, stormy night, that would be terrifying. As a matter of fact, back then there were stories that circulated around about ghosts that walked out on the Sea of Galilee, stories they'd probably heard since they were kids. And oh my gosh, here comes one. This figure walking through the darkness, not even knowing it was there until it was right up to the, to the boat. And what does Jesus say? He says, it is I. Now that's an extremely important statement. Again, the Passover is upon them. Do you know what it is I literally means? It means I am. That's what he says. I am. That's not just a form of self-identification. It probably implies more. When he arrives, he says, I am. And even Jesus' call not to fear. It echoes what Moses went through in the Old Testament when he approaches the flaming bush. Don't fear. I am. That was the comfort Yahweh, God, gave to Moses. It's the comfort that Jesus is giving these disciples. It's the comfort he's giving us. Don't fear. I am. It's me. I am there with you. Jesus Fulfilling this role of God. You don't need to be afraid. He's feeding, protecting, rescuing. Showing complete control over all the elements around him. Immediately, he can't snap with those fingers. Transports the boat straight to the shore. Now, I think a fair question to ask. Is it rational for these disciples to trust God in such a deep way? Is it rational for you and I to trust God when things just aren't making sense at all. We've not seen God. We, we pray to God. How do I trust God when I don't fully understand what's going on? One of the most uh, illuminating, you could say, answers that was put forward to that question was given by a, he was a philosopher named Basil Mitchell. And he came up with a parable to explain how God operates in strange, difficult, and confusing ways. He compares God to the leader of a resistance. Now, you've got to imagine for just a moment that you're living in uh, Nazi-occupied France, okay? You're living there. There's Germans all around. And one evening in the local bar, a stranger comes up, introduces himself as the leader of the local resistance, spends the evening with you, knows that you're interested in joining the cause, explains the requirements of your duties, giving you a chance to assess whether or not you trust him and say no if you want. But he says, if you join, your life will be at risk. And this is going to be the only face-to-face -face meeting you'll have with this man. And after this, you're going to receive orders. You're going to follow them without question, completely in the dark as to the whys and the, the, the wherefores of the operations Always terrified that your trust could be betrayed. Is that kind, let me ask you, is that kind of trust reasonable? 
Because sometimes what that resistance leader that you just saw is, is doing is obvious. He's helping out the cause, but then he's going to do things that aren't obvious. He's going to be dressed like a German soldier himself, like a Gestapo member. It'll look like he's hauling away your comrades, but in fact, he's releasing them when no one's looking. But you don't see that part. You must always trust and follow the orders without question, despite the appearances, no matter what happens. The resistance leader knows best is what you say to yourself. Only after the war will the secrets be opened, the codes revealed. The true comrades vindicated, the traitors exposed, and since we made out of things. Now think about that. Because the parable of this resistance leader is a, it's a picture of the dilemmas of faith that we experience as we live in this fallen world. But evil is not a problem. This is something Os Guinness said. Listen to this carefully. Evil is not a problem because God is too small. It's not because God's struggling to stay on top of things that we have evil in the world. But because God is so great that we cannot be expected to know what He is doing. That's why times seem confusing and out of control. It's because God's manner of operating in this occupied world we're in are so beyond our comprehension, we can't be expected to understand everything that He's doing. Christians have to look at Jesus and say, Father, I don't... I don't understand everything you're doing, but I trust that you are good and that you're on my side. He's always with us. He's always in control. He's leading us even when things don't appear to make sense. And then what do we see at last? God enters in, and then finally we see the crowds pursue. In verses 22 through 24, it says, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So this crowd that had been fed... They didn't didn't know the full story. They didn't know exactly what was going on with this man, Jesus. They tried to cram him into categories that were familiar with him. They knew he could do miracles. They wanted him to be king. But one thing is for sure. They wanted more of him. Now, time will tell which of these disciples are true and which ones are not. Just like the members of that resistance. They don't know yet. Some of them are going to run away. As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to call them out their motives, but at least at this point, they are willing to go wherever they think Jesus may be. They pursue him, and you know that's what we have to do. Pursue Christ. Pursue him no matter what. The best, I've said this a few times, the best dating advice I could ever give to anybody is you just run as hard towards that cross of Christ as you possibly can, and then look around and see who may be beside you. You run. Pursue him. He's got more to teach you and I. Just this past week, my faith grew in ways I was not anticipating. I was studying for the Thursday night class I'm teaching on the Trinity. And I don't know that I'd ever fully meditated 
or deeply meditated on how important it was that Christ, after he was resurrected, showed up to 500 people. See, he's constantly growing us. He gave us lots of evidence as to who he was. It takes such little faith to make Christ your Savior. Such little faith. And we are always growing. Our faith isn't perfected till we cross out of this world and go into the, the kingdom of God itself. It's always going to be growing. We're always going to be having doubts taken away as we grow up in Christ. There was a book written called The Comfort Trap. A guy by the name of Tom Bascom wrote it. He said, we're, he said, we're too comfortable to be spiritual. He said, we think we will be able to pursue God better without danger or hardship and yet it works in the opposite way. Nothing is more difficult than to grow spiritually than when we're comfortable. In American church, we've been comfortable a long time. But guess what? I think the island is starting to shrink. Just this past week, John MacArthur's uh, sermon was labeled as hate speech or calling a man, man a man and a woman a woman. It's testing. At some point, we're all going to have to decide what's right and what's easy. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, he was uh, exiled to a Soviet labor camp. And um, his reaction to that labor camp as a Christian and a follower of Christ was to bless it. And he made this statement. He said, The meaning of earthly existence lies not, as we have grown used to thinking, in prospering, but in the development of the soul. God is not going to leave you in kindergarten as a Christian. He's going to grow you up, and he grows us up by testing us, putting us in circumstances that we would have never chosen. So, closing this out, putting it together, instead of a headline that's like, it's eight mates, so pull your weight, we're going to end it this way. It's your mission, Christian, to trust God through testing. That's your mission. Trust God through testing, through hard times. We're all in this together. I want to close um, with this scene. Uh, those are angels on the other side of a river. This is actually the last moment in a book called Pilgrim's Progress. As you've never read Pilgrim's Progress by Paul Bunyan, I hope that you'll try it. It's an allegory that was written to explain the Christian life and how hard it is even up to the very last moment. Because this is a story about a Christian and Christian is trying to make his way to the celestial city, but he's got one final challenge. He has to go through the river of death. And he just doesn't think he can do it. He's got a friend with him named Hopeful. And he said to his friend, he said, My friend, the sorrows of death have surrounded me. I fear I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. Now he's almost there. They can see it. But this fear is starting to grip him. Hopeful struggle to keep his brother's head above the water as they start crossing the river. He'd go under sometimes. He'd rise up half dead. Hopeful keeps comforting him, saying, Brother, I see the gate. And men standing by to receive us. He said, These troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you, but they are sent to test you to see whether you will call to mind those times in the past when you have received his goodness in your distresses. 
Hopeful said, be of good cheer. Jesus Christ makes you whole. And then they got over. But just before they got over, Christian broke out with this loud voice. He said, oh, I see him again. And he tells me, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Then the book says they both took courage. They found grand ground to stand upon. And then the rest of the river was but shallow. And they got over. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what stage in that river crossing you're in. God will get you over. There's something better on the other side. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful. Though it is hard for the tests that you put us through. It's part of our growing up. It's part of our maturity. Lord, we all wish that it would just happen through ease and comfort, but that's not how you've chosen to grow us up, Lord. It's through difficulty. It's through struggle. It's through perseverance. And I pray, Lord, that we would have peace in the struggle, that we would know that you're with us, that you'll never forsake us, you'll never abandon us, you'll walk on the water through the storm, that you're right, right there. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning and maybe they are in a test and they don't know why and perhaps they've not yet put their faith in you. I pray that this would be the moment, the morning they do that. That they would understand that they have a sin problem, that they need a Savior. And God, I pray that no one would leave here today without a full assurance that if they were to die this afternoon, that they would be right there in your arms. We thank you for all you do for us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you're